the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast where three nerdy friends talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 1, A Dark Friend Pyramid Scheme. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of The Wind Was a Beginning. We are so glad that you are with us for this week's episode as we begin a new book, uh, book two of The Wheel of Time, The Great Hunt. Tonight we're going to be looking at the prologue and the first two chapters of that book, and I think we have a lot of great things in store for this week's episode. My co-hosts are here, I'm Justin, by the way, and my co-hosts are here with me, Stephen and Michelle. Steven, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Hope you all are having a great day. And Michelle? Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome to book two. Man, I'm so excited. Uh, This is going to be great. And we've got a a few great chapters to talk about tonight, but or or this week, or whatever whatever time of day you are listening to this. I keep saying tonight, because we record at night. Um... (laughs) But whatever whatever time of day you're listening, whether it's morning, noon, night, uh, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning when you're unable to sleep or whatever it is, uh, we hope that we don't put you to sleep. But uh, whenever you're listening to us, uh, we're glad to have you. So uh, you guys doing all right this week? Absolutely. I'm so sore. I just started some boot camp workout thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it was a very well-placed Instagram ad, and I fell for it, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> <But> hey. <laughs> you, you just started, like, like today or this week? or No, this is this is day three. I started on Friday. Okay. I did Saturday as well, and then we did Monday, so it's me and my sister. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that, guys. <laughs> that, that, that soreness will eventually go away. I don't know. I've I've never done boot camp. I mostly do weight training. And when you first started yeah. out, it it hurts a lot for a few days. But after a little while, you get used to it, and and the soreness doesn't last as long. So, uh, but it's good. I, I need to get back in the gym myself. So, <laughs> uh, hey, get ready for the Instagram. I'll leave the man. gym to you guys. <laughs> get ready oh, come for on. it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Stephen, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I bring get, you to my house, and you're I gonna get go enough with of me. The work. <laughs> You I, do. I uh, I get true, enough though. of a workout working. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. The way the way that you work, you're you're <laughs> you're outside a lot and active uh, every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unlike unlike Sorry. those of us who sit behind the desk most of the day. Yes, there we go. <laughs> so, I've been enjoying the weather though, because we've got our last little bit of cold weather, uh, probably today, and then I guess tomorrow, and then after that. We're into full blown spring, and then summer will be here probably in another week or two. Yeah, I was gonna say we don't get the, very long is, in the spring. They say we we all live in in the south. Uh, exactly. So we get spring for maybe like a week, week and a half sometimes. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah, yeah, you know, two if we're lucky. 
<laughs> and then and it's then, just summer. And then it's like it's like ninety degrees at a minimum every day. So on uh, the cold days, on the cold kinda, days, it's like ninety degrees. <laughs> it's kind of just like uh, how it was at the end of book one of the Other World. Yeah, we it's just like have we're in the blind, and then all of a sudden it's yeah. All of yeah. a sudden, it's just summertime, Actually, and everything you know starts what? blooming. And <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it took place in uh, Eye of the World because that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how the seasons happen here. You're cold. <laughs> you're cold for one minute, and then you look around, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, so maybe we have our own Balzaman. And thank you uh, so much to whoever fought him here in the south. Uh, <laughs> so and before 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 we know it, we'll be in the heat and humidity of the blight. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. The blood. And here yeah. we go. Here we go. We're talking about the weather again. Uh, but, I don't know. But but with a twist. <laughs> with a twist. Now we understand it. We understand it now. We 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 know what's really going on. Oh man. Well, are y'all ready to just dive into this for this week? Oh yes. This was great. I, I'm enjoying book two. So let's let's go ahead and dive in. So listeners, uh, we are going to be covering, like we said, the prologue and the first two chapters. So if you have not read that yet. The first two chapters in the prologue of The Great Hunt. Please go back now, take a seat, read those chapters, and then come back to us. We will be here waiting on you. We just don't want to spoil anything for you. So go read that amazing book, come back, and we'll be here to talk to you. So let's dive into this prologue titled In the Shadow. A mysterious man and a host of other masked individuals gather for a secret meeting with none other than Baalzaman himself. The Father of Lies is more determined than ever to have Rand, Matt, and Perrin under his influence. But just who is this man who calls himself Bors? And what is going on in Terabon and Tomanhead? I'm going to go back. What is going on? <laughs> Exa- no, I guys, thought- <laughs> I have to say, this is the best. I really enjoyed this prologue. I... And I normally don't. I don't. It's 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 a part of a book that you know I read it and I'm like I should just read this, let's get it over with. But this was actually truly enjoyable. Yeah, I thought Baalzaman was dead. I well, no, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> I was actually happy. I I know that's bad to say. I was happy that we. It's like man, it's like when Voldemort was reborn. It just it feels so good when the villain just comes in, comes back, and all. Like the villain's glory, you know what I mean. So I, I, I don't know. I like I like a good enemy, um, okay. in, this, in a book. So I was I really was happy that he came out. I have to say too. How did you guys feel when the Trollocs like stomped out, like like the King's Guard basically? The the description of them was like I I it was like the best description of them I've read yet because I it I it really set it off in my mind that. They look different. They don't all look the same. Oh yeah, that, that that he did do a very good job with that in this this section. Yeah. Oh, the scene was perfect. It's just, oh man, it's just what a group of people masked up. Everyone's everyone's kind of looking around, and I'm like, how did you guys get here? It's like no one knows why they're there, but they know it's going to be intense. Um, yeah. It seems like no one knew why they were there, but they got the call. You know what I mean? Is that what you guys kind of like got from this? I think that's kind of what we were meant to pick up on. It's what it felt like to me anyway that, you know, I think we get that uh, from Boars or, or the man who calls himself Boars, as he keeps being called. <laughs> I love that it's called that, like the man but, who calls himself Boars. Yeah, he definitely, I, I, I thought he kind of exuded that that kind of uh, uncertainty 
we would say. Stephen? Yeah, and you you also kind of get the feeling that, at least for Boers, this isn't the first meeting he's been to like this, but hmm. it's distinctly different than the meetings he's had in the past. Like, when Belzaman appears, he's not expecting him. He's expecting maybe to get, like, um, orders from a merge roll or something like that, uh, and then, you know, he's shocked by what he sees, you know. He's not expecting that. So I think it's interesting, uh, kind of the escalation for what are obviously these dark friends here is, you know, they signed, basically, you know, not a literal contract, but they signed away their souls. They pledged their allegiance to the dark. And I think a lot of them probably did it just to get that reward and then, you know, figured, oh, I'll, I'll say this pledge. I'll get what I want. And, you know, the dark one's not actually going to come back while I'm alive. You know, that's something that'll happen, you know. I'll just, you know, get what I want and power and all this. And I think they're all having a shocking realization that the end is actually coming in their lifetime. The Dark One's coming back and they're actually going to be called to live up to the things they promised. It's like it's like they don't realize that they, they just got drafted and they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> Sign yep. the contract, not read the sign print, and here we are. Yeah, um, it was all but- a game and now it's real. You know what is kind of interesting to me? It's, I like that we were in Boar's mind because I'd always assumed that the Dark Friends, like all of them, like worship the, the Dark One. But now it seems like, if anything, Boar's is... I, 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 the feeling I got was that Boar's is kind of resentful at the power that the Dark One has and he feels like, you know, he's looking forward to kind of like overshooting him. Did you guys kind of get that feel from it too? Like it didn't seem like he worshipped the Dark One it seemed like the Dark One was like a means to an end, but he doesn't have kind of like that respect. He wants people to look at him the same way they look at him, the Dark One, I guess. Well, I think you, you're you alluding to a question that I have for you. So, Justin, unless you have something else there, I have a question for Michelle. Well, I, I was going to say I, I kind of felt like he was maybe struggling with some ideas from his past because there's that, that moment when they're reciting that, that oath or pledge or whatever it was that he's got this inner monologue where he's fighting the urge to to say this in his head about, you know, the Dark One and the Forsaken being bound in Sheogul, that the Dark One was bound at the beginning with by the Create, all of this. He's kind of fighting to suppress that, while at the same time saying this pledge of allegiance to the Dark One and uh, you see at the at the end, he's even like, it, it's physically affecting him. But go ahead with your, your question, Stephen. My question is this, Michelle. Who do you think the Dark One is right now? That is like, that is a wild question. I never even thought about that. That that he could be someone else. Like, can you elaborate on that? Like, what do you mean? Like, like, what do you mean by who do I think he is? Do you believe that Balzaman is the Dark One? Balzaman, just to confirm, is who Rand fought, right? Yep. Correct. I wanted to say yes, but now you have me like super thinking like, oh my gosh, what if he isn't the Dark One? Well, the reason I say this is because Boars is not convinced. Like when he fir- there's a, a, a flicker of fear when he realizes that what he's being approached by is not like a Merdral or a Trolloc. It's something more. And at first he reacts like, oh my goodness, is it the Dark One? And then he kind of has this moment where he pulls himself back and he's like, no, no, it's not the Dark Lord. It's not the Lord of the Dark. It's 
one of the Forsaken. What? Baalzaman, one of the Forsaken? That's what Boar thinks. He, he did have that comment to himself about, you know, being uncertain about whether or not the Dark One would appear in human form. Yeah. Because I can see the Dark One changing his form, but I, I, Baalzaman being one of the Forsaken, I feel like that's really off the wall. Or I'll have to read, I, I do, I could tell though with um, his thoughts while they were gathered that the Forsaken are like another level of power, power than Trollocs and Murdraws and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, cause they, he compared it to like, oh, the Dark One or the Forsaken here. You know what I mean? Um, I yeah. can tell that they're another level of power, but Baalzaman, I, I know it's wrong to say, and I guess I need to read further through the books. It just seems like it's just kind of beneath him. Like really the Forsaken? I don't think Baalzaman is a Forsaken. I, I, you know, now I'm questioning everything about whether or not he's the Dark One. I feel like he is the Dark One, um, but I'm not saying he's not. I'm just asking because of what Boars thinks here. Like, no, think obviously, he it's Boars. It's Boars ideas. It's not necessarily the truth. We get that a lot in these books. The unreliable narrator, because we are seeing things through other people's eyes. So I, Boars I isn't so. convinced that this is the Dark One. That doesn't mean he's not the Dark One. That's just, I was just curious. I, I do believe the Dark One can take different forms. That's something I've been thinking about anyway. Because uh, why wouldn't he? Like, why, it'd be more convenient. Like, why wouldn't, you, even, and, and also the fact that he'd take the form of a man to talk to his followers. I mean, like, yeah, it's more, it's more, I can identify more with you when you're a man. You know what I mean? Like, I can see him doing something like that just to kind of put, like, a face to it. But um, I believe that Baalzaman is something beyond Forsaken. Like, everyone literally trembled and fell to the floor. Like, you must grovel. <laughs> and they did it. And he didn't want to, but he did it. How about how about we talk about uh, some of these people that were there? Like, yeah. we, we, get, we actually get quite a few uh, descriptions of people from different parts of the world. I think there's something mentioned about a... Uh, a Terran High Lord, maybe an Andoran Queensguard, and even even one of the traveling people uh, is so angry. Is there and and Bors, Yeah, Bors was not having that, but there were a couple um, that really stood out. Stephen, you want to tell us about the first one? Yeah. So uh, the first one that really catches your attention is a soldier from Shinar. Man. Yeah. So and and of, and of uh, course that's know. that's the last place we left our party that we were with for the whole first book. Yep. And it's this this strange dichotomy too because Shinar, you know, we just got done talking about how they're such a honorable people and they like they fight to protect all the other nations below them that are unaware and not really giving them any respect for doing it and yet even amongst those people these people that spend their entire lives fighting the shadow there are dark friends yeah and i remember i remember something uh that lord agamar said in the previous book at one point that the idea of a shinaran being a dark friend was almost to the point of ridiculous to him he couldn't imagine a shinaran being a dark friend and right well, there with him i'm right there well, with him I, but I was here, shocked. here we here we go we have someone now he could be there you know shinar is more than faldara really? right there are other yeah there, they, it's it's an entire country faldara is just one small city or town really may, mainly mainly a stronghold but there are other parts of shinar so he could be from somewhere else within yeah. that country 
But Faldara is not even the capital. It's just a no. like think of it as like a, a Helm's Deep type situation. It's, it's a, a it's a stronghold, a military outpost yeah. that happens to have a town around it. What would you call the men that were fighting? You know, the men in Faldara. Would you call them soldiers? Yeah. So that means, I guess, oh, yeah. I guess, I guess, you know, we we believe the the soldiers are honorable. Um, those soldiers are fighting the blight and everything at the border. But now you say that Shao um. Shainar is a, an entire country. So I guess we can see that, right? Like, you're not at the front lines, so maybe they're some stragglers or something. I well, hope. To be clear, all of Shinar is pretty much the front lines. Yeah, and Faldara especially, so... I'm trying to, like, reason this out here, but this really told me, like, wow, so when you said, like, Stephen and Justin, you guys have been saying dark friends are everywhere, like, I guess <laughs> dark friends are everywhere. Yeah, literally I think, everywhere. Yeah. I, I think we really need to keep a close eye on everyone. On on everyone, especially you know, since our our main characters are still in Shinar, um, and, and again, he could be from somewhere else within the country, but uh, I don't think it's 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 significant that that one would be mentioned. And I actually, this is from chapter one, but I picked up on a statement there that. Faldara had never been betrayed. Oh uh, man! Yeah. That to me, that unlike to me Malkier. Is, yeah, see, that to me is uh, possibly some ominous foreshadowing. I hope not. <laughs> I don't. I don't want that. <laughs> um. So, but there are some others uh, that our attention is drawn to as well. A couple of women who wear the Great Serpent Ring, which is only worn by the Aes Sedai, or women who have trained in the tower. Um, so, Stephen, you had a question about this. Uh, just, do you guys think this confirms, finally, that there is actually a Black Aja? I mean, I know we've heard a little bit of reference to it here and there, but do we think this is confirmation of that? Yes. I mean, I, I would say at this point, it's all but confirmed, right? It hasn't been officially stated that there is, in fact, a Black Aja, uh, because, you know, it, there is this possibility that these women were not full Aes Sedai. Really? presents it. Yeah, because every woman, or all the women who train in the tower, uh, is it all women or just the ones that reach a certain level? It is any woman who reaches the level of accepted. Right, right. And we'll, uh, we can talk more about the, those levels, you know, a little bit later as we learn more about that, but... Uh, Example. Correct. Uh, uh, about the the different levels within the White Tower, um, when I, that that'll come up later. But the point, yeah, the but point I was being, going to say there is one example of someone who is not Nisadai uh, in Book One yeah. who wears the serpent ring because they have an association with the Isidai, and that is Queen Morgay's of Andor. Yeah, she is not Nisadai, oh. but she trained with the Isidai and has a ring. Uh, Rand notices it when he's in the. Uh, the throne room. So what you guys are saying is just just like you know Queen uh, Moraine. Or no, not Moran. Moran. Morgays. Morgays. That's a really cool name, anyway. <laughs> but but just like Queen, uh, Queen Morgays, someone like her could also like be here with the it, dark friends. Just just because they wear the ring does not necessarily mean that they are full Aes Sedai and. On the flip side of that, asking about the Black Aja, it does confirm that not everyone who wears the ring walks in the light. These these are women who have trained in the tower at some level. 
Whether or not they're actually Aes Sedai, whether or not they reach that level, we, we don't know from this, but uh, they're wearing the ring, so... Which means that the side of the dark has current modern age channelers on its side, not just the Forsaken. So not all dark friends are just normal people. We now want to have it confirmed that at least some dark friends can channel just like Moraine, just like Egwene and Nynaeve. So that opens up a new world of possibilities for things. And Boris seems so resentful towards them. <laughs> Just the fact that he, he was like, he wishes that the taint was on the female side too. Like everyone can't use the power. So give, a, I guess, an answer to the question. Do I think that they're Black Aja? Probably so. I'm just, it hasn't been confirmed yet. I want to point out multiple times, multiple times based off his attitude. It, he, he had me thinking that he was a white cloak. He has a certain arrogance about him, doesn't he? He feels <laughs> like he has that. He has that white cloak, that air of white cloak, that white cloak taint about him. Basically, like, did you guys kind of get that that feel too? He just seemed so angry at the Aes Sedai. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, uh, he even called them witches, which is pretty. Which not you know, we've heard a lot of people call them Tarvalin witches, but especially. Uh, the white cloaks, um, yeah, have Sam called Bowie them that. calls them witches. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I think later it's you know in the next chapter it's even mentioned that Rand grew up in a place where it was common to hear them referred to as Tarvalin witches, uh, just because of the the way people felt uh, about the Aes Sedai. I think it's interesting for Michelle that you pick up on those things and make you you know you hear his conversation and it makes you think right white cloak. And then at the very end of the prologue, we discover that that is, in fact, what he is. Yes, <laughs> he is indeed a white cloak. White cloak. I like this, though. Guys, I have to admit, I really, I really like that realization at the end, that confirmation. Like, yes, dark friends are within the white cloaks, too. Like, yes, you guys are not perfect. That was a pretty, pretty epic reveal. I loved um, it. And, and you know, there, there was one thing that was mentioned uh, a small detail that I don't think uh, we've had described to us yet, so we don't know what it means, but he, he has his cloak, and of course there's the, the golden sunburst, which is a symbol of the white cloaks, but also another symbol, the red shepherd's crook. Um, again, we're not told what it means yet, but I think it's, it's something maybe to pay attention to, um, and it might at some point reveal to us a little bit more about his character. But that was a, a great reveal. I, I enjoyed that. Because you guys know how I feel about White Cloaks. Yeah. I, I believe we do. It's even, it, it makes it even more fun to hate them when you know that they're also dark friends. So. <laughs> I like this, though. I love it, though, because they, they don't know. They can't suspect this. It looks like he's high ranking, too, in my opinion. Maybe. The White Cloaks. Maybe. So that brings up an interesting question, I think. What do you think Boar's good work? is that Beelzebub wants him to continue. I mean, is he doing normal white cloak stuff? And, you know, we, we all know that <laughs> that 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 is more evil than the white cloaks want to think it is. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm really curious about that. I took it on the other side, actually. I, I it just made me think about how undercover cops like infiltrate prisons and they're like, or undercover cops in general, it's like you have to gain the trust mm. of that group. I feel like Maybe the good work is making sure that he moves through the ranks of white cloaks 
you know, because it because it also helps direct where they're going, right, or direct where they're looking, or you know, if they do see the boys, I I, I don't I don't know. It just seemed like one thing I was thinking is like maybe gain rank so you can even have a better and easier time of finding where the boys are. I I don't know. So you it, you, you think you think specifically his 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 purpose is to be an inside man in the white cloaks. I almost thought, you know, until they had the grovel, I almost thought that he it could be the other way around at one point too. Like, oh, is he a spy on the Dark One for the White Cloaks? This was before it got the, we had the reveal. But then it just feels like the things you have to do to become a Dark Friend just seems... It's like, I don't think it, it lends its way to for you to be a spy. It seems like, I mean, if Balsamon is not the Dark One, it seems like they can kind of... He clearly has an individual connection with each person's mind, and I don't think it's possible for you to be a spy and then come and meet inside this chamber and not get obliterated. So, I mean, so so I think on the other side, I wouldn't put it past the Dark One to kind of make him move through ranks, because then that means he owns the White Cloaks too, right? I mean, I guess if he if he got high enough in the ranks, he certainly would have some influence. But what do you guys think about that other side? There's no chance that a dark friend could be a spy on the dark one, right? Without losing your life. It would definitely be a very risky proposition. Because you would have to, you know, as we see here, Balsamon is basically able to suss out things from them to tell when they're lying almost. Uh, you know, and we obviously we don't know how much of that is bravado and how much of that is actual him being able to peer into their minds. But we do see that he is able to, like, put stuff into their minds uh, and to, like, plant things there. Um, and, you know, to the comment to the comment that uh, after Boars receives those visions, basically, uh, he's like, what on earth? Is-? Boars wonders what has happened. And Balsamon is basically, sometimes uh, the, the best way for the plan to be enacted is the one who's enacting the plan doesn't even understand what the plan is. Hmm. Basically, it's almost like Bialzaman has been seeding almost like commands into these people before he sends them back. Like, they don't even know half of what he wants them to do. It's just like seeded into their minds, basically. And I know he resents that too, the fact that he thinks he's in control. But no, like the dark, you signed yourself over to the dark one. You're not in control anymore. And I, I like nothing better than a white cloak, like suffering mentally, physically, getting your <laughs> chopped down in half. You had to grovel. You were ordered to, you didn't even, you didn't even do it because of orders. You just had to, you just got down on the floor before you can think about it. So I did something, like that. Something that I found interesting was it was mentioned that Boars had followers. So he he's not completely acting alone. He has others who are under his influence. And and my question is, who are they? Are they other white cloaks? Are they? We we're told I think that he was he was kind of stationed in Terabon. You know, are they citizens there? What what is that situation? I don't know who these followers are. Did we get a? We didn't get really any kind of description of Boars, did we? No. I know I know it's nope. mentioned I know He's it's short. mentioned No, no, it's mentioned that he tried to hide his stature cuz he he kind of yep. like purposefully stooped. So we would assume he is maybe taller and I don't know, maybe you know, maybe like a broad-shouldered individual, someone with an he imposing to, figure. He tried to hide that too. Like you can't yeah, he tell was, if he's skinny, fat, broad, he was, whatever. 
He was purposefully trying to hide his stature. That that leads me to believe he's probably someone larger. You know, which he's a white cloak. He's you know they're they're trained soldiers in many cases. Um, he's just so you're yeah. basically saying there's like a dark friend like pyramid scheme happening here. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's exact. That, no, that that literally sounded like what <laughs> what you were describing. It's like a pyramid scheme. That's exactly. That's exact. That, we 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 have the solution. Who is the dark one? He's the one who started the pyramid yeah. scheme. <laughs> and if you if you follow him enough, if you follow him enough, you get a cloak. You get <laughs> you get to see this. You get to come. You get to, you get you get to, to have you get to power. Wear, you get to wear a black mask. <laughs> you, you recruit five people. You get a red mask. <laughs> it's like so. That's no. That's that's basically what it sounded like. And this really uh, everything that happened there. I think I think we have our yeah. episode title, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a good title. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm not even going to bother writing down any other ones. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. But but this uh, was oh this was such a good prologue. I I really hope I liked seeing things from the I guess the dark friend side. So I hope that we can kind of go into their mind a little bit more. I will say I was a little bit disappointed, and you know. I know I shouldn't bring up Narg again, but I really am hoping that the the Trollocs start speaking. I want to hear them speak. I want to hear their thoughts. Okay. <laughs> like Michelle, I, I, I was really Michelle wants, Michelle wants a chapter from a Trollocs point of view. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> like Alrighty. that's all I'm asking for. But it, uh, this was this was really to see this. This was I don't know. This side of things is is fantastic, and I hope we can get more of this. Oh, moving wow. forward. Uh, shall we move on to uh, chapter one? Absolutely. I say that was. Just, I that, think so. That was just the prologue. <laughs> that, was, that was a whole. Uh, that was an episode in itself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, chapter one: The Flame of Tarvalon. A training session becomes a conversation. Rand's emotions are all over the place as he learns more about his sword and thinks about his friends that he can't quite bring himself to leave behind. Just as the training is about to pick up again, trumpets and drums sound to the south. The Amerlin seat and a large group of Aes Sedai have come to Faldara, and Rand is convinced that he knows the reason why. So this was a pretty cool way to open, you know, the main story with uh, Rand and Lan training on the uh, the top of, of that keep, that tower. I like that though because I've been thinking about this since the last book. Um, these boys, I mean, clearly they have these weapons, and these are going to be their weapons. And and Rand has a special sword of like you know a, a skilled master swordsman. I'm like, when are they going to start training? Like, learn how to really use this, tap into that previous life. So I I, I was I, really, I was really excited to see that he was training with Lan. If if I remember correctly, there you know he did train them a little bit when they first uh, started traveling north out of the two rivers, just just a little bit as they were traveling. But this is like full on uh, swordsmanship that he's trying to train. He essentially, you know, even though he admits throughout the chapter he doesn't have time, he's trying to teach Rand what he needs to know to be a blade master, or at least as much as he can. Yeah, he's, we can actually, we get a little bit of an indication that there's a bit of a time jump from yeah. the end of book one. About, about a uh, month, So there's been say. some time in training. Yeah, probably roughly a month. So Rand has had enough time to 
learn a few forms to become more comfortable with the sword um, and to kind of learn a little bit of control, um, but not, you know, land hints at the fact that he would need years to make him a proper blade master. Uh, and there's just not time for that. But I think he's actually, you know, he says Rand has every all the innate ability that he would need to become a blade master. He just needs time. I think it's nice to see, uh, too, here, the the kind of bond that is developing between Rand and Lan here. As they, you know, he Lan is taking him kind of under his wing and really investing time in Rand. Uh, and understanding him. And I really agreed with something that Lan said, where he was like, it's not about who, like, you know, it's not about blood, like, who's who your father is, it's who raised you. Oh, yeah, um, that... And I was that, like, yeah. I agree, 100%. That is your father. Yeah, that that was a moment where, and it's, you know, it's even mentioned, it's almost like Lan was reading his mind. Uh, not that I actually think Lan has any kind of power like that, but... Uh, it's just he, he was picking up on the vibe, you know. What do you say in in the borderlands? You know, the one who has a ra- the raising of a child is their father, and you know that's exactly the thing that Rand has been struggling with. Is you know, Tam is the only father he's ever known. Uh, Tam raised him uh, from a baby, so yeah, that's his, that's father. his, that's his uh, father. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean. Does Rand still have questions about his heritage, uh, his origin? Sure, and 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 maybe he should, but you know you, you shouldn't doubt. In my opinion, you shouldn't doubt that you know that is your father. Um, yeah, because that's sure, the person I'm that sure raised he you. Feels guilty or something, you know, when you're trying to think about your heritage of like, oh, who is my father? I think that's what seems like that's what the conflict is. But I'm like, no, Tam is your father. But you know, I am curious to see where. You know where, where it did come from. Now yeah. about the sword, guys. Maybe I misread the description, but it seems like it is a duck-shaped hilt. No, no. Yes, isn't it? It's no. no it's a it's a regular like I, I almost I, I guess I've always envisioned it um, kind of like a katana. Stephen, would that be accurate or you know? I didn't. I wouldn't think a katana. I was thinking long sword. Uh, it yeah. It's it's kind of described more as a like it could be a katana but it leans more towards uh maybe being some type of long sword okay. or uh something along those lines well it's it's it's, described... it's distinctly different than lands uh, yeah. land's sword is larger he wears it across his back yeah. So, uh, you know, probably his is more of a hand and a half sword or something, whereas Rand's is more of a one-handed, almost like a dueling saber. I will uh, say, uh, like when it comes to like Skyrim, I would choose uh, Land's sword over Rand's. I just feel like it's more efficient <laughs> <laughs> to not have to keep on uh, putting up your shield. But I, I am, I am glad to see that he's actually training. And two, the other thing is. The sword designs don't necessarily have to fit what we think of as a specific design of sword or blade, yeah. Because and, these swords are made in a different age than ours, okay. Um, so they could definitely have katana-like in uh, inferences, but also still, you know, yeah. I think it's referenced. I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I think it's referenced that the blade is curved to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a straight up long sword like medieval type. But at the same time, it's also said that there is, you know, there's a hilt and a, 
scabbard to it, uh, you know. So I think there are indications of maybe a little bit of everything, a little bit of both. I, I, I would like to point out that the the image that um, Baal Zaman showed his followers in the prologue, it is specifically mentioned that the sword um, that Rand carries does have a two-handed hilt. So All right. Okay. <laughs> A two-handed uh, longsword. It, it is a little bit. It is a little bit larger than that. But it is. Uh, you know, you, you did bring up the point. Land carries his on his back. Rand is able to carry his at his waist. So it's not. You know, it can't be as large as as lands. But um, but what we learn what we learn about it uh, is pretty significant. Yeah. So a blade wrought with the power. A thing that I said I no longer do, but once did, a forging of weapons to fight the shadow that is, it creates weapons that are intrinsically in their very core something more than a normal weapon. You guys read my mind because I was just going to ask about this. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you guys know? Well, you already read the books, but there was no indication in the previous book that this was um, forged with like the one power, right? Well, there was an indication that. It was different, and and okay. as as Lan is describing those weapons, he, he mentioned something that brought back a memory to me when when the, the winter night, the night that the Trollocs attacked the two rivers, and Rand picks up the sword for the first time. If you remember, as he was after he met Tam in the forest after the attack. He went back to the farm to try to gather a few supplies, and one of the things he did was took this sword and hacked apart a, a cart made of ash wood, which is a very hard wood, and you know hacked it apart so he could kind of make a makeshift litter to carry Tam back into or into the village, and that sword was still razor sharp after Rand did that. That's not normal. <laughs> I hadn't even. Yeah. Th- there especially, was so much going on. I did not even catch yeah. that in the first book. The, especially, like, you did. <laughs> especially with it being ash wood, that is a very hard wood. It is. Uh, so for him to do that with, if he had done that with a normal sword, that thing would have been so dull afterward. But it's it's so sharp. Yeah. He just barely touched it. I think I remember, and cut his finger. I think <laughs> that supernatural sharpness there. And the durability of the weapon, I think, is honestly, in a good part, responsible for Rand surviving through the first book. Like, when he goes to fight Trollocs, you know, like, Perrin has an axe. It's pretty simple to understand how an axe works. You swing it, you chop, you know, and Matt has his bow that they've used since they were kids. Rand is sitting here with this sword that he's never used before. But somehow he manages to make, you know, kill Trollocs with it and survive, even though he has no skill. I think a lot of that can be chalked up to the fact that the sword was doing a lot of the work uh, by being able to just cut through Trollocs almost like a hot knife through butter. Let's not um, forget, but Alzamon pointed this out, too. He was like, these kids are dangerous. He will kill you. Like, if you're on the other side of his yeah. sword, you will die. So I did like that, too. And maybe he knew that the sword was different as well. Um, I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, you think Balzaman knew? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that the sword oh, okay. also had like the one power that it's able to just slice through anything. Yeah. For for a second, I thought you were saying that Rand knew, and no, Rand had no idea. No, no, no. <laughs> Rand Rand knows. Rand probably knows even less than we do. Probably <laughs> about, about this sword. 
Uh, yeah. So he doesn't much care for it when he does find out how it was made because he's, you know, still reeling with the fact of what he is and the Aes Sedai schemes and Moraine. And then he finds out that the sword that his father gave him that he doesn't want to get rid of because it came from his father is now tainted in a way because it's been created by the Aes Sedai that he fears are trying to manipulate him. Rand yeah. is going He really is. He really is. I mean, and you do really get inside his head and all of these emotions that he's feeling. And I mentioned it in, in the summary, you know, Stephen, you mentioned him learning about the sword and that, you know, really bothering him to learn yeah. that it was crafted by Aes Sedai. And then, you know, all of these things uh, about his friend, you know, he doesn't want to leave before Matt and Perrin leave. Uh, he's, he's, he's on the border of even asking uh, Egwene to come with him, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, so he's, he's so really... torn. He, he has such a a life changing decision to make, and he's just he's milling around trying to avoid making the final choice. It's like it's already lonely enough leaving their village, and now it's like the only people I even know or have gotten to know, I have to leave them too. So I, I'm with. I understand. I can. I mean, I can't fully understand what he's going through, but I can see why he's still there, even though he. You know, he should have left a long time ago. Uh, I think I think we all can probably empathize, you know, dealing with those difficult decisions because everybody has to make them at some point in life. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe not as severe as what Rand is dealing with. I mean, he's basically just learned about a month ago that his destiny is to fight the final battle against the Dark One. And then, and then die. Um, yeah, and then, and then die. Like, break, and then break, die. Break the world and die. Um, at least that's probably the way he's seeing it right now. So I think there's one more thing for us to talk about real quick before we move on to the next chapter. And that's uh, this crazy wind. The wind that was a beginning. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it was the wind. You know, that's what, you know, I, you know we, we saw this in the last book. We, we see it pretty much in every book at the beginning is this, you know, it's where we get our, our show title of it beginning with a wind. Um, and this you know, one, I, this one does some weird stuff. <laughs> that was a good point though, Justin, yeah. the, the beginning of the book started so similarly uh, to eye of the world that I was almost, I almost confused myself into thinking like, Oh, am I reading the, the second book? Well, the first, still the first one, the first few <laughs> sentences were identical. <laughs> no, it's like the same. It was the yeah. same thing. Um, but, but yeah, but, good. Yeah, this wind does some weird stuff. It did. And this wind has a different origin too, which so, I think yes. is a part of it because yeah. the first wind comes from the down from the mountains of mist. Right. This wind comes from Shalgul. Yeah. So distinctly different winds. Uh, <laughs> and the timing. And too, I think you know what I mean. Yeah. So do we think that, like Lan said, this wind acting like it does, pushing Ran, like hurting him by almost running him through on Lan's practice sword, or, you know, the fear that it might push him over the edge of the parapet, do we think that that's like Lan says, because they're so close to the blight and it, weird things just happen? Or do we think someone is deliberately doing this to attack Ran? You know what happened? I, I, the thought came through my head, and then it, I completely pushed it out. I was like, man, what if Moraine is trying to just, you know, just make this easy? Like, just make it an accident. <laughs> Let's just, 
you know, this is really good timing. Let's just make it an accident. He accidentally died during training, and let's move on from this. Uh, but I, I, I just, I, I don't want to believe that. So I had to push that thought away. I mean, it could be Moraine just trying to give him more reason to run. Like, seems like Moraine is trying. Is she? According to Rand, she's been very hands off ever since they got back to Feldara. Yeah. Maybe it's Moraine just trying to get rid of him. It just hurts my soul. I don't like that. I don't know about that. I, I mean, because we're told explicitly where the wind came from. We're, we're not really, I mean, we're not told if it was caused by someone or something, but, but we're told where it came from. I, I'm having a hard time thinking that Moraine would have anything to do with that. Um, it, it was weird. Uh, I could be wrong. It was weird. Uh, what I did like was that when Rand mentions it, you know, um, you know, how many people, if someone says that the wind just like became solid and held you there, how many people would believe that? Right. They would think, okay, you're just, <laughs> you're just losing your mind. Not, not land 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 accepts it. He's like, okay, something happened. And now land has his theory, uh, at least the theory that he gives to, to Rand. maybe land knows more than, than he's letting on, but he at least acknowledges and, and doesn't, you know, kind of doesn't, doesn't just brush it off as many people probably would. Um, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's being a good, a good friend and, and mentor in that way, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, do y'all have any other thoughts before we move on to the next chapter? Um, no thoughts, no thoughts. I'm ready to go. All right. You lead us in, Justin? Yeah, we've got, uh, somebody important to meet. Chapter two, the welcome. Knowing that it is past time for him to be gone, Rand makes preparations to finally leave Faldara, packing away the new clothes that have been made for him. But as the Amarlin seat arrives in Faldara, it may be too late, as Rand learns that no one is allowed to enter or leave the keep now. Should have gone sooner. Should have left. Should have left like two weeks I'm ago at you, least. <laughs> Rand is he? He. I don't know if any of our listeners have watched Hey Arnold. There's Eugene, who is what? What is he called? He's the Jinx. Rand is. Kind oh of, yeah, uh, it's been a long. Rand time. is just. He just seems like his luck is just not there. Well, um, we mentioned. I mentioned um, in the previous chapter, Rand. Rand knows, or at least he thinks he knows, why the Amerlin is there, why the Aes Sedai have come. He's he's and 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 everybody like that he passes in the in the keep is like, oh yeah, she's here for you. She's gonna Ooh. summon you and your friends. Now they don't know all the details, at least as far as we know, but uh, Rand is pretty sure he knows why they're there. And and what something I found interesting when he thinks about the idea of being gentled or not being gentled. He doesn't know which one scares him more. <laughs> you know, right. the word, what, the word be... gentle is just not a good word for this. Like they make it sound like it's like, it's like you're putting your, your hamster down. Every time I hear well, it, it's, it's, I it's, just, it just sounds it's, so. It's trying to make them, it's trying to make them less dangerous or in their mind, less dangerous. So I think it's, it's, it's fitting. The point, the thing is though, is, you know, he doesn't know whether it would be better to no longer be able to touch the power or 
to, you know, go on living his life with the power. He doesn't know which one he which one would be worse. Uh, either one is is a bad bad option. He thinks. I think Michelle, it's it's called gentling because they're trying to make something that's truly horrific not sound so horrific. Mm. I mean, in all honesty, gentling or stilling, if you're referring to a woman, uh, it's tantamount to basically a lobotomy. Like it's it's not just a little bit, you know. It's it is a taking away of a fundamental part of a person. Oh, I uh, thought it was stilling. In a, in a no, it's 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 not. It, it doesn't. It the, the the process itself doesn't kill the person. Oh. However, many people who are gentled or stilled, in the case of of women, uh, don't live very long after. Uh, we, oh, that I think we're, I think awful. we're told that. But now I, I, I actually <laughs> I, I like as as awful as it is. I like that description that you gave Stephen of it being like a lobotomy because now that I think about it, it that that is a fitting description. Oh um, no no no! Yeah. That is that is gentling is definitely worse. Um, I, yeah. it's the same thing as losing the power though. It's like the same thing. Um, but yeah. I guess you mean having the power and then not being able to use it. Like you have it, but yeah, you it's, can't use it. You know, it's, it's having, about. it's having a, like you said, Stephen, it's having a core part of yourself completely removed. I, yeah. oof, that sounds terrible. And it's, and it's not like it makes them like a normal person. They're still able to know that this power is there. They just can no longer touch it. So it's always there, taunting them, drawing them, but they can never touch it again. They can never use it again. And they know that they should be able to. The core of their being reaches out to it and knows that it should be there, and they are cut away from it. It just sounds death would be better, I, I believe. Yeah. For many people, I think they would agree with you. Many people within the story that have gone through that, they would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about what Rand finds when he gets back to his room. Oh, yes. <laughs> or actually, it's, it's, it, it, I guess it's a room that he shares with Matt and Perrin. Uh, but he's, you know, he's on his way there to pack his stuff and get gone. And, um, his stuff is no longer available to him. <laughs> Thank goodness uh, he of... had the foresight to hide Tom's, uh, bundle. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. With that. I'm so thankful for that. Um, I'm here. But, yeah, he's, you know, um, getting getting new clothes. I think this was yeah. wise. This was a good. This was a good idea to do, regardless of anything. Uh, we already saw in the prologue, like you can see from from when Balzaman even like showed the boys, like uh, Boris could tell that there were farm, like there were farm boys or whatever. You know what I mean? It is good to completely change their look as far as their. So, so with regards to that, though. All right. Yeah. So they're in Shinar. Moraine could have had them nice, sturdy soldiers' clothes or, you know, workers' clothes. But we don't know what she gives the other two boys. But Rand, she basically had nobles' outfits tailored for him. He, he says they're basically good clothes that have been done up like they're ready for a feast day. There's like scroll work and a lot of flouse and pomp to it, to it all. Uh, and I think it... Like, what is Moraine getting at here? Like, is she trying to draw attention to him? 
And then, of course, he finds what's stitched into one of the coats. Yeah. Uh, is that same uh, little symbol, that, that dragon that's on the banner. So it's like Rand's own thoughts are, is she trying to get me killed? <laughs> that, was, that was a good question, too, at that, that was That was a part that I just did not understand why. I mean, because... Because all all we could gather from the end of the last book was, you know, they had they found the dragon banner at the Eye of the World, and Moraine kept it hidden, like she wouldn't let anybody see it. So why is she now commissioning these clothes to be made, one of which has that symbol uh, on the cloak? It's like, what what are you getting at? I don't know either, and you know, from the prologue. We technically don't even know if he is the dragon. He just kind of... It seems like to become the dragon, you have to do something. Something particular. He just He's just dragon adjacent. And apparently so are the other two boys. But I guess in her mind, he is the dragon. Because that's what... I forgot to mention that during the prologue section, too. Like, it, it also taught me, like, oh, you know, we know who could become the dragon if they accepted whatever. But he's not the dragon yet. He has to do something. But I had the same thought, too, a similar thought, but I don't want to believe it. I'm like, are you trying to get him killed accidentally? Like, are you doing all these subtle things to, like, are you trying to mess with his mind? Like, what are you doing? I think Rand just sees it as her trying yet again to, like, he's beginning to believe the stories that people have said about Aes Sedai, and he's kind of oh, at yeah. war with himself because he, you know, he's traveled with Moraine. He trusts her. You know, he knows that all the stories aren't necessarily true, but at the same time, stuff keeps happening that make him kind of question maybe those stories had some basis in reality. You know, everyone always says, I said I are manipulative and that they pull strings and you don't know what their real plan is. And I think he's slowly starting to see maybe that's what's going on here. <sighs> She's not doing well to prove otherwise right now. <laughs> but we haven't really heard Moraine's side of the story yet, so I can't say too much. We're all just speculating here. Yeah, she's actually kind of MIA at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Michelle, what do you think about the appearance of the Amarillan seat and all these other Aes Sedai? <laughs> I actually need to go back then. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like slipped my mind. Okay. Well, you think on it, and we can talk about it on the next episode. Then. Yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming we'll get more in the next chapter. But I would, you know, I definitely picked up on the the ceremony of the whole thing uh, when they arrive. And I don't know if that's coming more from the Shinarans or if it's because it's a uh, delegation of Aes Sedai. But there was definitely some ceremony to it with the uh, the repeated, you know, who comes here, who comes here, or whatever. I, it was, I will and say, the, 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 it was very formulaic. Let me that say, whole they're, they're not subtle. They're not subtle people. That's for sure. They're not going to sneak in. It's basically like a warning, like, "Hey, Rand, you know we're here. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's coming? Who's coming? We're here, Rand." Yeah, they've got <laughs> so it's they've really, got it's their really entourage nice. of warders. <laughs> Absolutely, with their, uh, color shifting cloaks. You can't and, miss uh, it. I love that though. I love the I love the color shifting. Um, I don't know, because the way, especially the way Rand describes it when he crosses the courtyard and all the warders are standing together, it it sounds a little (laughs) off-putting. Yeah, he says it almost turns his stomach to look at it because it it just, it messes with your eyes. You don't know what you're looking at. I have to imagine, even even if it's just one of them, if you kind of looked at them for too long, you would get that same experience. It's accelerated because there's so many. 
but even just one of yeah. those, it's kind of like, it's kind of like those cars you see that have that chameleon paint, <laughs> you know, how as they drive down the road and catch the sun a different way, it kind of changes color. You look at it for too long, it'll, it'll kind of, it'll kind of, you know, mess with your head a little bit, but that, that, that's, that's what these cloaks are. They're just cloaks with that chameleon paint on them. So that, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'll take um, it though. Uh, I, I think, one. you know, I think. You know, y'all were talking about like this, how it seems almost formulaic or uh, very proper here. And I think part of that is, you know, we get the reference made here to the fact that uh, this is not a like thing that happens often. Like true. Someone mentions the fact that the Yamerlin seat almost never leaves the tower. And, you know, when she does, it's usually to meet with kings or queens. She's never been to Shinar in living memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is not a thing that just, you know, the Honorable and Seat strolls down the road and says, hello, this is a big deal. And they had no warning. Uh, the keep is kind of thrown into turmoil, trying to make preparations. Like I think shine orange are very honor bound and, uh, very, you know, tradition is a big deal for them. And they're kind of scrambling because they have all these like, procedures that are supposed to be followed when the armament seat comes, but nobody has ever done them because it, she hasn't come before. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. I think and they're trying to figure it all out. You know what? The other question is yeah. who alerted that? Like, I guess we already talked about that. I'm like, who alerted them? Like who, someone reached out to them or, or was That's it why just they're coming? when they, when they saw, heard the trumpets and saw, and heard the drums and, Saw no, the parade no. coming. No, I'm talking about the Amelie. <laughs> She's saying somebody told the, the Aes Sedai. Yeah, oh, the Aes okay. Who told, like, why are they here? Of all oh, places surely, to come, why are you here? Sure, surely Moraine's behind that. It's just, Moraine, come on, make it less obvious. Mm. <laughs> well, we have to get her out of the story, because we have to call Rand an unreliable narrator as well. We're getting what he's feeling, and we're getting hit all of this through his eyes. Well, that, you know, and, and this just kind of, like, just in general for these books is we have a lot of unreliable narrators because we're getting it from their point of view. It's not, it, it's, it's not an omniscient point of view. It is clearly, you know, this is, we're just inside Rand's head. Yeah. We are thinking what he is thinking. And if what he is thinking is wrong, you know, that's still what we're being told. And so we have to try to figure it out along with him. It's all about perception. Robert Jordan really loves the fact that truth can change depending on who's seeing it. Sure. Uh, because it, it doesn't necessarily always come across the same way to the same to different people. So it's very interesting. And it's all about individual perspective and how they cope with the different things in this world. Yeah. So let's let's real quickly talk talk about these last couple of points. Uh, first of all, the cultural differences. Yeah. I guess in this case, particularly between Shinar and the two rivers, because uh, that's what's brought into <laughs> our into our uh, focus. Um, who wants who wants to describe it? <laughs> uh, Stephen, uh, you go through so, and describe it, but I can I I I don't find this shocking though. Like the huge cultural difference, it's like too complete. You know. So the it's in the two rivers, it's very much like a traditional kind of proper, like you have the men, you have the women, uh, you know, there's traditional values. It's very homespun. Uh, it's very Western. 
Yes, yes, that's a good way to say it's, it. It's 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 what we would consider traditional, like morals and values in a from a Western point of view. And here we have this dichotomy where, uh, and we'll see this again later in some yeah. further on chapters. There's also there's some more cultural differences here that are really interesting, but. In this one, the one that Rand is upset about is the 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 sense of modesty is very different here. Uh, you <laughs> very know, much the so. Men, you know, when they're back in they're back in Berlin, they have a men's bath and a women's bath, and they don't interact. Uh, you know, it. They're Rand. You know, it's scandalous at one point uh, with Rand and Matt when a woman shows too much like leg above the ankle at one point. And yet you have women here who just walk straight in, hop in the bath with right next to the man and just don't think anything about it. Yeah. It's not, a, it's just not a thing. So it's, it's very different. This world uh, and these cultures, uh, they have such a different uh, perspective on things like men and women are a lot less different or a lot more equal. I would say in Shinar, uh, less separated and segregated in a lot of ways. But you know, there, those, those differences, exist in our world the the different yep. different ideas about like modesty for example you know uh we, we we you know we're all familiar with the traditional western idea of modesty but you go to some places in the world uh, you know the the example that came to my mind were like um you know certain um tribes in different places uh where you know the women don't cover their chests, you know, and that's considered normal in those places. Uh, whereas we look at that and we're like, whoa, what? <laughs> how, how can they be walking around like that? But in those cultures, it's normal, you know. So, I mean, it's something that, you know, even exists in our world. And I, I'm glad you mentioned, Stephen, that, you know, we're going to see other examples of this as the story goes on. It's not just here in Shinar, but. You know, a lot of places have different cultures. I like that, though, because it reminds me how large this uh, this world is. Yeah. And it yeah. honestly makes it more real. It makes it feel more real. Definitely. Yeah, and a lot of fantasy worlds, even if you have reference to other countries, they're very samey. Like, it's yeah. almost yeah. like, in a lot of fantasy books, countries are almost treated like in the U.S., like states. Yeah. Like they're all basically the same but slightly different. But in Robert Jordan's world, it is much more realistic into how our real world is in that different countries are distinctly different in culture. Now, if two countries border each other, you might see more similarities, right. but we're seeing a more extreme difference here because we literally have two countries the two rivers in Andor and Shinar, which are almost opposite sides of the continent from each other. I mean, it's basically the equivalent of somebody from uh, China and somebody from uh, France. Like, the culture yes. is so drastically different. Uh, right. So it's, it's really interesting, and it really adds a living quality to this world that Robert Jordan makes. It makes it, it just makes me want to explore it. It makes me want to travel around. I will say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think I think we'll get the chance to explore some more uh, as we go through. So what about the, uh, what about the order that no one can come or go? You saw it coming. 
Like, I mean, because it'd know, be too easy otherwise. I say, you know, all of this debate that Rand's having with himself, you know, do I go the back way, even though that's a little bit longer? And definitely somebody will have sent that order by then. Or do I go through the courtyard? I catch a glimpse of the Amberlin seat and I keep on going and maybe I can get out of here. Did, did, we, we knew. I want to make one point real quick. Okay. Yeah. Rand likes to play it dangerous to catch glimpses. He gets into the same trouble in uh, Kenwin because <laughs> right? he just had to go see the dragon. That's true. I mean, he, he cannot... He's he his own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> can't resist yeah. it. He's like, oh, I, I just... I know she might be here to gentle me, and it, but, you know, maybe they're going to kill me, but I just need to see her, because I may never have the chance again. Just real quick, just real quick. <laughs> but but in, in this case, you know, nothing really happens until he gets to the the stable, you know, like, he gets through the courtyard and everything seems fine. I think he, he gets that moment where, you know, she's kind of scanning the crowd and he feels like, almost like he feels her eyes on him, but... Yep. Other than that, he, he makes it to the stables, uh, only to find out he can't go anywhere. And he's very dubious of who this order comes from. <laughs> yeah. Who do we think mm-hmm. Who do we think it came from? <sighs> I, I'll just say this. I don't think it came from Lord Algamoth. I don't think it came from Moraine. <laughs> really? No, I don't think it came from Moraine. See, I, I was actually thinking it probably did come from Moraine. Because like, she, she knew, I think. She, she had to have known. That as soon as Rand knew that the Aes Sedai were coming, that he was going to try to scarp her. And so she took measures to keep that from happening. That That's my that's my theory, my opinion. What are the odds? Are they There's also not a third all knowing, possibility. What is oh, the third possibility? What's Let's that? Hear it. it could be uh, someone else in Faldara manipulating events. Possibly someone working for the Dark. That's true. Don't even I mean, don't even bring in Pat and Fane here. It's it's a real quick it's a real quick way to uh get rid of Rand if he's trapped with this little contingent of Aes Sedai that basically hunt men down and want to gentle them. I mean, if you're the dark and you want Rand out of the picture, trapping him here with all these Aes Sedai is not a bad move. I don't think he wants him dead though. I think he just wants him. It's like, either you follow me or you die, but I don't think he wants him dead just yet. Oh, I'm not saying Balzaman does. Okay, but I mean, just a dark friend. They're, yeah. And also, there's probably, there has to be someone else that kind of noticed all that lightning coming from Rand and knows that, whoa, that's not supposed to happen, and is probably disgusted and terrified as well. But I'm like, the wind... I don't know. There's a lot. We went. We already had that prologue where we saw that dark friends can be everywhere. I just don't think that this was Moraine. That's my stance on this. Like Moraine did not cause this gate to close. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will find <laughs> out. What a convenient way to end. Yeah, I think so. How about uh, how about we get into some final thoughts, Michelle? You usually go first, so go ahead, go first. <laughs> oh man, final thoughts. Uh, can I talk about what I would like to see? Sure. I really hope we see Tam in the very, very, very near future. I I really just want him and Rand to have a conversation. And also, um, I want to see, I know, I know, but I want to see more of the White Cloaks. I, now that we know that there's like, you know, a dark friend within their ranks, I just, I want to see some more chaos on that, in that division. This is things, these are things I want to see like very, this is not even about the series as a whole. 
this is what I want to see within the next few chapters. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see some more of what these workings, like, the like, I want to see this all come to fruition, like, soon. Yeah, I, I definitely want to know what Bors is up to, uh, what's going on there, and uh, what kind of situation he's found himself in. Of course, he's a white cloak, and white cloaks are the worst, but uh, he's even more so because, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, the thing I don't like about white cloaks is they, you know, give the idea that they're fighting for the light, and but they're really, you know, despicable human beings. Um, I don't know, maybe Bors is worse because he's parading as a white cloak, but is secretly a dark friend. Maybe he's more honest about who he actually is. I don't know. Um, he's pretty terrible. Uh, but I do want to know, you know, what kind of scheming he's got going on. And uh, as I, I mentioned to you guys um, off air the other day, that ending at chapter two was just horrible uh, because we, it ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> and we've got to go into chapter three and find out what's happening. So uh, I might actually go as soon as we stop recording and read chapter three, <laughs> at least, at least read chapter three. I need at least the first sentence or something. Like, let's see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, Steven, final thoughts. Um, I guess I'm just excited to start the second book. Um, I feel like the first book is really a lot of like groundwork and laying and introducing characters. And now we have a real sense of who these characters are and we really get to see them grow and expand going forward. And I'm excited to, to take that journey with them now. Uh, so I'm just excited. There's a lot that's going to be happening. Uh, things are really kicking off in this book and I am excited for it. Do you guys happen to know how many pages are in this? I'm doing this Kindle. Uh, depends on depends on what edition you're reading, I think. <laughs> it's bigger than our last book though, isn't it? Um, I don't think so. Uh <laughs> I wanted some more story, but hey, yeah. at least it's, it's a series, so we got this. Um my my paperback is six hundred and eighty pages. Oh yeah, this is significantly bigger than our last book. So no, that's great. no, the last one was I think close to closer to eight hundred. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to, it's over there on the shelf. I'd have to go grab it and I'm connected to the a, computer right now. Listeners but. <laughs> already understand this. When you're like engrossed in a book, you don't, you can't tell how long it is. It always feels short. Yeah. So, uh, but this has been fun, hasn't it? It has been. Man, I love yes. getting to, I love getting to sit and talk with you guys and I love being able to, you know, share, um, our thoughts and our love of this series with our listeners. Listeners, uh, thank you um, for joining us. Uh, thank you. Uh, some of you, I think, have been with us since the beginning. You've come back every week, and we're so excited uh, about that. Uh, if you haven't done it already, we would love for you to, first of all, subscribe. That way, when new episodes are released every Tuesday, you, you, you're, you're among the first to get them. You know, you get them right away. They come to your uh, podcast uh, feed, and they're, they're right there. Uh, also, if you would, please uh, leave us a rating. Leave us a review uh, if you're able to do that. And, you know, let us know what you think. Um, you know, that also helps us with our, our visibility, too, so we can reach other listeners and, and grow this, uh, this community we're starting to build. Uh, 
We would also absolutely love it if you would reach out to us via social media. Uh, let us hear from you. We want to interact with you. We want to chat with you and, uh, you know, maybe even hear your thoughts, your theories, especially if you're if you're reading this with us for the first time. We would love to hear those things from you. Uh, we're on Twitter uh, at Wind Beginning. We're on Instagram at The Wind Was a Beginning. We're on Facebook and YouTube, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, you can email us as well, thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. Uh, so again, we're so thankful that you joined us this week. Next Tuesday, we're reading chapters, well, we're going to read between now and then. Next Tuesday, we're discussing chapters three through five, so we would encourage you to read those in the coming week and come back and join us and let's have some fun as we think of as we we, we get further into this story and find out what's going to happen um, now that Rand can't go anywhere. So I think with that, we'll call it an episode and say good night. Thank you again, listeners. For being with us and cannot wait to do this again with you next week. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Y'all have a great week.